What? Best. It does. does. <laughs> You're dying. Be Warmly. Warmly. Get well better. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Sincerely. <laughs> Welcome to the Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we've prepared especially for them. I'm Luther Hughes. I'm Duji Beats, Rhymes, and Rice Taha. And I'm Gabrielle Bates. Last week we talked to Erica Meitner about whiteness, witness, and weathering trauma. Ooh. This week we asked her to bring in a poem by someone else for us to geek out about. Erica chose the poem Night Travelers by Campbell McGrath. I hope you're ready as we are. We're so ready. Night Travelers by Campbell McGrath. Rising from Newark, I see the cars of the homebound commuters assembled like migrating caravans. Lush as glowworms, gregarious as electric eels in their dusty blue Hondas and plush Monte Carlos. They jam the tollways and access roads, flood the exits and passing lanes, circle the sinuous clover leaves until they are nothing but rivers of dun and aluminum and butter-colored light, arterial channels of ivory and gold, pythons transmuting the freeway web to luminous honeycomb. Now I see the Trojan horses of industry, refineries and loading docks at Elizabeth. Now the magic kingdom itself, Manhattan, pathologically lucid on Midsummer's Eve, which according to the book I'm trying to lose myself in as we shudder to scale the oxygen stairwell, was the optimal hour for witches' transport by broomstick and airborne bread paddle. The dancing of mad hags under Venus Mountain, the wild hunt's enchanted stampede, covenants and covens, auguries and invocations, henbane, belladonna, elderberry, hemlock, as the travelers to Hackensack and Scotch Plains must suffer the runes and rituals of unemancipated flight. Hubbed enumerations and the tokens of interchange the ghosts of evening loosed from backyard barbecues, as from the window I hear the song of baseball cards and bicycle spokes and crickets in the neighbor's lawn, lost summers of crabgrass, resin of oak leaves, taste of chalk from the window screen, as I wait for the sound of my father's car in the driveway, Ford Falcon 1963, as even now I imagine the children are sent to bed with patio voices and urn light of fireflies in jelly jar sarcophagi. All the children in all the suburbs, tens of thousands, millions of them rising into the air in striped pajamas, hovering like midget astronauts, tiny inmates in coonskin caps, convict stars above a nation of lawn chairs and tinkling ice cubes and sprinklers whirling like tireless apostles the beautiful sprinklers casting their nets whispering silver apologies to the dust now the air nurse is passing out thimbles of whiskey the pilot has spoken of vectors and altitude trajectory velocity how distance reduces to speed over time the ways our lives reduce to intervals of burnished light on the freeway, a ritual semaphore of stop-and-go traffic, 
sleepy kisses, radio static, the invisible jet stream propelling us forward as the past recedes like farmland beneath our wings. There are no spells against this grief, no incantations to bridge the longings of memory. Days and nights I cherish far better than projected wind speed or nomenclature of root salves. I don't really know when midsummer falls or sign of nightshade or if the moon has risen at all beyond the acetylene clouds, but I am rising to 31,000 feet and as far as I can see, there is nothing but darkness and nothing on this craft but bourbon and water and light the color of bourbon and water to ease the fire of our passage. Would you tell us a little bit about how this poem came into your life and also why you chose it today? Sure. So my very first, or one of my very first poetry teachers in my undergraduate um, creative writing class, my very first undergraduate creative writing class at Dartmouth College in 1993, maybe, four, sometime in the mid-90s because I'm really <laughs> old, named uh, Cleopatra Mathis, um, brought this poem in to us, um, and it had been published in The New Yorker. It later appeal appeared in one of Campbell McGrath's books, American Noise, um, and said, okay, everybody, here's this poem. Write an imitation of it. And I was like, <laughs> um, okay. Um, but I just recently actually, because I've been on airplanes so much, because I've been flying all over the place to read for my book, um, I recently have rediscovered, rediscovered it because I was like, where's that airplane poem by Campbell McGrath? <laughs> um, and I brought it into my class a couple weeks ago. And I was like, we're just going to read this poem. I don't even remember why. I oh, because I was talking about the lyric moment and time and the way time works in a poem. And this poem, you know, like I was talking about Mark Doty using language. So like, what is this poem about, right? It's about a guy on an airplane, like over New Jersey. <laughs> That's it. Having, <laughs> having a glass of whiskey. Yeah. Like on and an water. airplane over New Jersey. Like that's what the whole poem is about. <laughs> yeah. But after you finish reading it, you're like, no, no, that's not at all what the poem is about. Like it's about the nature of memory. It's about like how we travel and how we travel through time. It's about how we see ourselves from the outside in. But one of the things I so love about that poem is how it draws out this like very short, like actual narrative moment into this enormous like span of time like if you're going to talk about this idea of lyric moment how do you stop time in a poem and stretch it out like this does it and it's stretching the time it's stretching the lines Line, yeah. the mm -hmm. lines are super long uh, so long that they're you know have to be indented over if we were able to see the poem on the page I'm assuming the way it was actually written it would look almost just like a really long prose yeah. piece and actually when it was printed in the new yorker the lines don't wrap they just take up the, the entire, entire page, page of the new yorker yeah. which that never happens right in a poem that's amazing yeah i mean i'm really interested in like the form of this poem too and like i've been thinking about the way movement happens across the length of a line right and like sort of the audacity and like the willingness and the reflection of the content of this poem to like actually do that to like move 
and compress time in such a way that like you are moving along the entire length of the line to the point that the page ends, right? Right. Like you have to, mm-hmm. and, and then to move beyond that, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because my book is actually large format. Like it's yeah. seven by, I think it's seven by, instead of being six by nine, it's seven by nine. And I ask for that extra inch so that my lines don't wrap sometimes. And one of the things you all have noticed about my work is that it's very like expansive or maximal. I call it maximalist. Like I just try to jam a lot of stuff in there. And this poem to me, I feel like gave me the first, you know, like Allen Ginsberg's Howl was probably one of the really early poems or even Whitman to give me permission to do that. But really, like, this poem also gave me a lot of permission to feel like, oh, you can just jam that all. Just just put that in, you know? And so, of course, the poets I most admire are often the most um, sparse or lyric. You know, like, Robert Creeley was a big influence for me um, early on. And Lucille Clifton, who, like, couldn't be more... I actually contemplated bringing a Clifton poem, but every time I do um, radio stuff, I've brought Clifton. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to change it up a little bit. <laughs> but up. she's so succinct and incredible, and her lines are so... Anyone can read a Clifton poem and just sound amazing. Like, there's no way to screw it up because mm. her lines are just so perfect. Um, yes. And so it's interesting how, you know, in the same way that like I want blonde straight hair when I grow up and my hair is brown and curly, like I write these enormous poems, but really like want them to be tiny and very like skinny on the page. I love the idea of uh, stopping time. Um, Like the fourth sentence is like 10 plus lines, right? And there's just sprawling over and over and over. But with all these details that you think wouldn't really stop time or you think it was like, oh, like a, a hearkening on the time of the poem, right? But it's literally stopping time in its tracks. We're thinking like, well, now this is, this is happening now, right? It's not 1963, so why would we care? But the idea of stopping and, you know, making a capsule of this space is great. It's very interesting to me. I never thought about how to stop time using these kind of details to do it. The details and all these adjectives, mm-hmm. which I feel like often we've, we've talked a little bit about what we feel like we're allowed to put in poems and one thing I've been told to question a lot and probably rightly are adjectives, but I, I love the permission this poem gives to include lush, gregarious, electric, and dusty, and plush all in like one line. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Yeah. And sound for that matter too, right? Like I think one of the things that I think about, like the, especially on the first reading is like the kind of the, the, just the sonic weight of all of these adjectives altogether that sound alike. And I, I think that I don't, I can't recall, and maybe it's my own deficiency, I can't recall a poem using sound in that way to slow time, right? I think of mm. sound as a way to sort of propel forward, Yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. so the idea that like you could do, you could sort of compress all of these things or put all of these things in one place to in fact like fix you in time is, yeah, really fascinating. It's interesting, too, because what he's describing is like when you're on an airplane, you're trapped. Suspension. (laughs) And so it's it's not just suspension, but it's like enclosure. Um, But but you don't feel that enclosure. Right. Um, You just feel that time stoppage. Um, Mm. But one of the other things I really um, love about this poem, we were talking about rhetoric before, right, is the rhetoric of it because it's the way the sentences are structured. Like it starts with a participle rising from Newark, but then the way it's propelled forward. Now I see 
now the Magic Kingdom. And so it uses that now to kind of move it forward. Um, and then a repetition of as, as I wait, as even now. Um, and when it finally turns, it's with that but I am rising. And so it really like, it's almost like a mini masterclass to me and how to use um, not quite speech, like, like the rhetoric of formal, like if you're making a formal speech, but to some extent like that but, like so much weighs on that but. And so I love the way it uses both, um, you know, ing verbs, and then that the ands even to yeah. drive it forward. Yeah. Now that you say that, actually, you're right. Like it, it, it is a very effective like speech, right? There are a lot of like political speech patternings. Um, you're constantly sort of contrasting or like imbalanced contrasting. You use like the anaphora you know, yeah. constantly. And then sort of the final turn that is actually a callback to sort of the original thing. So sort of everything is pointing in the same direction. I totally see those tricks in this poem. You could actually take the content, replace it with political content. <laughs> and it would probably like in that rhetorical structure yeah. and it would probably work. We'd actually. all be clapping. We'd be like, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. But we're going to raise the minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the re repetition of the word now at the beginning of these lines, because I think that brings together so beautifully what we were talking about, about this poem as just this big expanded now, this singular moment, um, contained suspension, but it's all in the now. It's all now, um, again and again. Another thing that I really, I like about this poem that I think is similar to your work is sort of like the self implication there, or like the self, like just admitting that, like, I don't know what the Midsummer's Night Eve is. <laughs> right? I just like, I just used it because it kind of fit. Yeah, it fit at the moment. It seemed right. But like, the truth is, I don't actually know what it's about. Right. Um, because it's just like, it's doing that reckoning. Right. Like in the poem, the poem is, the poem reveals the reckoning in a way that is, um, it's telling. <laughs> it's really great. I think before that, I'm really taken by the, the little phrase, there are no spells against this grief. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost surprising how it comes into this poem, right? Because it's not really about a grief or a, a, a weeping or a, that kind of like, you know, rendering and undoing of oneself. But the idea of that, the grief being longing for memory, uh, for mm -hmm. accuracy of memory, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of more so compelling to me. And then when it gets to why well, I don't know why I used this thing before, but somewhere in my memory I had this idea and it mm -hmm. came to me this way. And so the longing of wanting to be accurate in a memory, but then discrediting the accuracy of a grief is very, very interesting to me. And how that plays into the idea of capsulating time and space and what that means to do all these things and how memory does capsulate a kind of uh, a memory and how it captures kind of a time in your life. That to me is very surprising. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you all are way smarter about this poem than I am. That is nah. totally <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> is there more to say, perhaps? Do you have a favorite line? Um, the last line. I just love the last lines. Um, I am rising to 31,000 feet, and there is nothing but darkness and nothing on this craft but bourbon and water and light the color of bourbon and water to ease the fire of our passage. I was trying to think actually the other day, I was watching um, when Jeffrey and 
Keita and I were on the road. Um, he was, Jeffrey was drinking, we were having cocktails and Jeffrey was drinking a glass of whiskey and I was trying to like come up with an adjective in my head for the color of the whiskey and there's not. I've done that too. There's <laughs> just like not a good, I was like rust? No. <laughs> amber? Yeah. Glowing um, amber? amber? Yeah, like no. Right. It's like not and so there's something about the fact that yeah. it's not trying to yeah. describe that. that the I color love. of bourbon it's, water. It's yeah. like, Ease, the fire like sort of gives us that notion of of like different red orange yellow yeah. colors but it doesn't try to do that yeah. it's like the color of bourbon yeah. yeah and there's almost like it's a really fascinating turn on to your point gabby earlier where like there's so much adjective in the poem right describing the noun and then to finally end with like there's just no adjective to describe yeah. this thing i'm experiencing or like the and in fact, maybe like the only narrative, like the only narrative, which is like he's sitting on a plane drinking whiskey yeah. and like there are no adjectives. There's nothing fancy about it. Like it just is yeah. that. It's the light of that. Thing is the thing. It's kind of like it's sitting kind of in its failures. Like, well, I don't know these things. And honestly, I'm on a plane drinking whiskey right. and bourbon and there's water and which just kind of reminded me of the same thing that I'm talking about. So it's like it's like sitting in a failure of what, what, what he's yeah. doing, which is kind of also advancing the idea of what failure is, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, and the whole poem's like a flex, right? Where he's saying like, I don't know that, but also here's, you know, three pages of like <laughs> adjectives. <and> like, <laughs> these like high-minded thoughts. Yes. Yes. Thank you to Erica who managed graciously to make a stop during her West Coast book tour. Thank you to Campbell McGrath for writing Night Travelers. Shout out to Whiskey. Yes. And shout out to the color light makes when pulled through Whiskey. Oh. Poetry. But most importantly, big gratitude to you. You. Dearest listener, for kicking it with us this far into our first season. Keep your reviews and emails coming. If you like our theme music, go put some flavor blue in your ears right after this. Shout out to them and the whole music seen here in seattle yes yes if you love us love us give us a quick five star rating wherever you're listening to us and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already these things really do help lastly follow us on twitter at poet salon pod and send along your questions your exclamations your latest diary entry whatever to the poet salon pod at gmail.com be well, y'all. Feddy, feddy and spaghetti, feddy and spaghetti, feddy in the...